Our first reading today is the most traditional reading for this day of Pentecost. It comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. First, though, let us pray. On this day, O God, when we celebrate your spirit, we remember how you are, among other things, as powerful as the roaring wind and as near to us as the softest whisper. Speak to us this day however you see fit. Give us grace enough to recognize your voice when it comes, and give us courage enough to respond faithfully. Amen. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a violent rush of wind, and it filled the entire house where they were staying. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, each of them in their own languages. We all hear them speaking of God's deeds of power. And they were amazed and perplexed, and they said to one another, What does this mean? Others, though, sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. They were all together in one place when the Spirit arrived. It's a good story, but it doesn't fit with our circumstances today. So in case that concerns you, that Pentecost might only be able to happen when we are all together in one place, hear this story of an earlier outpouring of the Spirit, an account that comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 11. It picks up right after Moses has filed a letter of complaint with the Lord God Almighty. You see, the Israelites in the desert, they're complaining about their menu of manna, manna, and more manna. So in response, Moses prays and he says to the Lord, Why is this my burden to bear? I can't possibly do everything they are asking of me. Help me, won't you? Either help me or put me out of my misery and let me die. So picking up, then, with verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk to you there, 
And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people along with you, so that you will not bear it all by yourself. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wailed in the hearing of the Lord, saying, If only we had meat to eat, surely it was better for us in Egypt. A brief aside to say that what comes next is, I think, an example of how the creator of the heavens and the earth, while never giving up on us, the creator of the heavens and the earth can become a bit weary of us. Therefore, the Lord continued, I will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not only one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty. You shall eat for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Then Moses said, Lord, the people I am with number 600,000 on foot and you say, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Are there enough flocks and herds to slaughter for them? Are there enough fish in the sea to catch for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power that limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent and so they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad, they are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. This, friends, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a month's worth of meat for 600,000 people. It's a little overwhelming for this vegetarian to think about. Thankfully, that's not the point at all. The point is that once again, Moses is hesitant to trust God. I'll give you everything you need, God says. And Moses, in return, squirms in his seat and says, Ah, are you sure? Can you really do that? Because what we need is a lot. 
And that's when God takes the Spirit and rests it upon all of the people that Moses has gathered together all in one place. And they prophesy just like in Acts. The Spirit comes to those who are in the right place. But then we're told about Eldad and Medad who are not in the right place. When Moses gathered everyone together, they stayed back. Now, we don't know why. Maybe their motives were good. Maybe they stayed to guard the camp, or maybe one of them didn't feel well and the other stayed to care for him. Or maybe their motives were less good. They overslept and missed the memo, or they were waiting for the coffee to finish brewing, or maybe they were just tired of listening to Moses. We don't know why they aren't with everyone else. We just know that they aren't. Two men remained in the camp, Eldad and Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. The Spirit comes to them where they are and rests on them, and they do their work of ministry right where they are. The Spirit, it seems, has utter disregard for walls or boundaries or assumptions or expectations of any sort. That is a powerfully important word for us on this Pentecost day. Of course, we want to be all together in one place. But the Spirit doing what the Spirit is going to do does not depend upon our being all together in one place. When it comes to being the church, buildings are important, but they are not essential. As God asks Moses, is the Lord's power that limited? Now, if you have paid any attention at all to the news in recent days, it's not hard to layer our story from Acts over what is happening all over the country. Pentecost is a story about wind and flame, about breath and breathing and speaking. It is a story of chaos. Last week, George Floyd, a black man, died after a Minneapolis police officer pinned him to the ground with his knee on his neck. There is video footage of him crying out, please, I can't breathe. In response to this, a number of protests have broken out, some of them peaceful and nonviolent, others less so. The 3rd Precinct headquarters of the Minneapolis Police Department erupted in flames. And as of the writing of this sermon, the city was still on fire, fueled by the fury of yet another black life taken and the relative silence of white people. Pentecost is a story about wind and flame, about breath and breathing and speaking. It is a story of utter chaos. The parallels here demand 
that we as people of faith sit up and pay attention. Now I want to be clear about two things. Sometimes it is just as important to clarify what we are not saying as it is to explain what we are. So first of all, I am not condoning the destruction of property. But having said that, the destruction of human life is a far greater tragedy. Have you read about the Gandhi Mahal? It's a Bangladeshi Indian restaurant that is very close to the police station in Minneapolis, and it too was a casualty of the Thursday evening fires. Hafsa Islam, whose father owns the restaurant, she's 18 years old, and she said, at first I was angry. That is my family's main source of income. But then she heard her father, Ruhel Islam, speaking on the phone to a friend and he said, let my building burn. Justice must be served. And later that same day, he repeated his support for the protests. We can rebuild a building, he said. We cannot rebuild a human life. Now again, I am not condoning the destruction of property. But again, I hope that we will always find the destruction of human life far more problematic. And second, I am not suggesting that God has authored these events and set them in motion as part of a modern-day Pentecost event. God is grieving and weeping in the streets this weekend. Whenever and wherever the people of God cry out in pain, God's heart is the first heart that breaks. Our Presbyterian theology is crystal clear on this, but there are other voices and other theologies that proclaim differently. Do not be swayed by them, and do not let them purport to represent the entire Christian faith. So what I am saying is this. We as the church, we have an opportunity to view these days through the lens of Pentecost. And we have the opportunity to respond accordingly. Do you remember what happens in Acts after the great wind and the tongues of fire? All of them are filled with the Spirit and they begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit gives them ability. There were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem and at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their own native language. Now, there is some nerdy debate among biblical scholars about where exactly the miracle in this story lies. Is it when the apostles were suddenly able to speak differently than ever before? Or is it actually that they were speaking as they normally did? It's just that the ears of the listeners were suddenly hearing them differently than they had ever heard them before. 
There is specific mention in the text of both those who speak and those who hear. And I am not at all sure we need to choose one over the other. As a nation, racism and white supremacy, that is not just our history. It is very much our present. And it is even more insidious and it is even more complex and it is even more deadly than the virus that has us staying at home. What I am learning is that as a white person, as someone who does not have to worry about putting my hands in my pockets in a store or, a, or about peer, appearing guilty of something while I'm out on a run, I need to listen. I need to listen to people of color as they tell me about their experiences, and I need to do it without getting distracted by feeling guilty or defensive. Because when that happens, when that happens, all of a sudden, I'm again the center of the story. I'm thinking more about myself and my reactions, and I'm thinking less about the person speaking to me and what they have to say. I need to listen. I need to listen and I need to speak. I need to speak out against these sort of horrors that have become all too common. It is in no small part the silence of people who look like me and live like me that has brought us to where we are today. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he puts it this way, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. When the spirit blows through the land on Pentecost, some are able to speak as they have never spoken before. And others are able to hear as they have never heard before. I hope that we will know that kind of Pentecost. I hope that we will work toward that kind of Pentecost with everything in us. And here is one of the things giving me hope that it is possible. In her book, The Great Emergence, Phyllis Tickle, who is a church historian and theologian, she says that we who are living in the 21st century are passing through some unusual times. No kidding. She says that we are passing through almost unprecedented times of change and shift, of upheaval and reconfiguration. However, she says, the appearance of such an era as ours is, historically speaking, right on time. She makes this remarkable observation about every half millennium, she says, give or take a decade or two, about every 500 years, the Latinized cultures of the world go through a century of enormous disruption. It's a disruption that impacts every part of their existence, from economics to politics, from intellectual life to social structures, from cultural norms to religious perception. 500 years ago, it was the Great Reformation. And among many other developments, 
some of which were divisive, the Great Reformation gave us Protestantism. A thousand years ago, it was the Great Schism of the 11th century. It splintered the Eastern and Western ways of life, as well as Orthodox Christianity and the Roman Catholic Church. 1,500 years ago, in the 6th century, was what historians now refer to as the Great Decline and Fall, when everything that had been, from governance to social cohesion, crumbled away into the Dark Ages, leaving chaos in its wake. And 2,000 years ago, the shifting and the turning, it was so monumental, it was so consequential, that the dating of all time itself has been recorded in terms of it ever since. In what Tickle calls the Great Transformation, God entered into the world through the person of Jesus Christ. And eventually, the Christian church was born. So now, she says, we sit in the midst of another 500-year pivot point. We are right in the middle of it. She has called it the Great Emergence. So what will emerge for us as a people, as a world, as a church? The overarching question of every one of those eras, she says, in the face of conflict and chaos and change, was the question, how now shall we live? Or in other words, who are we going to be? That is the question facing the church as we consider how to respond now to so many situations of brokenness and despair, of incivility and unrest, of division and deception. It is the question that is as steady and persistent as the beat of our own hearts, which means answering it is not optional. It is not going away. If you think I have the answer today, I'm sorry to disappoint you, because I don't. None of us do because we are in the middle of it. And all I know is this, that if we are in the middle of it, it at least means we aren't at the end. And if it's not the end, we still have the capacity to shape the story that our children and our children's children and all of history will eventually tell about us. What story are they going to tell? How now shall we live? Church, who are we going to be? It's hard to imagine a way through all of this, and it is easy to be overwhelmed. Moses was overwhelmed too, so much so that remember, right before we began reading from Numbers today, Moses laments to God, why is this my burden to bear? How am I supposed to do everything that's being asked of me? 
God sends the Spirit to rest not only upon him, but upon all the others, too. Those who are in the tent and those who are outside the tent. In this way, reminding Moses, you don't have to do it all alone. And neither do we need to answer the question alone. But we do need to answer it. Because declining an answer is, of course, an answer in and of itself. How now shall we live? Who are we going to be? Addressing the crowd in the aftermath of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter, he quotes the prophet Joel, and he says, In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young ones shall see visions, and your elder ones, they shall dream dreams, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shandon Presbyterian Church, the Spirit is resting on us right now right where we are and i am absolutely confident that together we are bold enough and brave enough to be filled with the spirit's own prophecy and vision and dreams so by all means let's get to work pray with me gracious god we believe Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.